So good to be in the house of the Lord together again and just being able to worship Him together and uh, fellowship together. It's really His heart and desire and plan was always for us to gather together and in these gatherings to, to fellowship, to worship, to have the Word, uh, to be fed spiritually and awaken spiritually and then also allow opportunity for uh, signs, wonders, and miracles to happen in our midst, uh, becoming uh, really uh, what the church is, uh, was always meant to be. And so I want to take this morning, we're going to kick off a series, but as we, as we do that, I want to I just say this because I really want you to maybe um, tune in a little extra special this morning. Just allow yourself to tune in. Uh, the word that he gave me as I've been praying, he really asked the last number of weeks for this whole series about the Beatitudes was, uh, the word was reset or reboot. Reset or reboot. We have an opportunity to allow that to happen. And the Bible says that the preached word is the power of God unto this. And, and so we have this opportunity um, but somehow I find it's really, uh, it's, it's really challenging sometimes for us to do that. Because you have to turn things all the way off to reboot them, don't you? Have you ever, you know, if you call for any kind of a, any kind of a, a challenge electronically, the first thing they do is they say, would you please reboot it? Right? That's what they tell you. You think, yeah, of course, I know this. But they were really Right? Matter of fact, I, my vacuum cleaner stopped working one day, and I called into the company, and that's exactly what she told me. Could you just unplug it and just count to 10 and then plug it back in and just see if it works? And believe it or not, I thought that was pretty stupid. I didn't tell her I thought that. You know, the Bible says only a fool says everything they think. And so, unfortunately, I didn't because it would have been on me. But I did that, and I plugged it back in, and that crazy thing started working. <laughs> and so I, I want to just challenge us up this morning. Be ready to be reset and rebooted this morning, and, in, and even through this series, because this series might be uh, one of the greatest sermons ever preached by one of the greatest preachers who ever preached. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing uh, sermon, and, uh, and, and Jesus himself kicks off his entire ministry with this. I mean, this is like he could have started with anything. He could have actually started with signs and wonders and miracles. But instead, he came onto the scene uh, in, in the Gospels, and he started with uh, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And within the, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, at the beginning, he talks about the Beatitudes. And this is what we want to focus on uh, because uh, of the importance of this. And uh, as we look into the definition, I, I just want to read this quickly and not take a lot of time on it, but I think as, as we hear this uh, sermon today on being poor in spirit, and what does that really mean, and how do I take that in so that I can uh, allow it to, again, reset and reboot me, because it's the very first of the Beatitudes, and I find that it was the foundational one and the most important one of all. And if we don't start here, there's no sense in moving on in the Beatitudes. And so we're going to look at that today. But he kind of addresses this with the church of Laodicea. And he makes this statement. He says, because you say I am rich and I have become wealthy and I have need of nothing. 
That's his kind of rebuke to them. He says, they, the, 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 the Laodicean church came to this place where they just thought they had it all together. And, and, and probably to the point where they didn't even need him anymore. You know, we got this figured out. We can do this now. And, and, and he comes and he really rebukes them. And he calls them out on this because uh, the Lord never wanted us to move away from the Beatitudes. We're actually to let those be our foundation and let those build us. And I find myself, I have moved away from them at times. And I think once we start looking at this, you would probably be able to say the same thing, yeah? And maybe you're there today. And we just, again, he's just going to reel us back. He's going to reset us. He's going to get us back positioned for maybe one of the greatest times and seasons in all of history. And if, if, if it's not going to be all of history, it's going to be probably one of the greatest times in your life. But we're going to have to lean into this thing. We're about to move into a season where uh, the, it's almost like, you know, the Lord's going to stand up off of his throne. Say, okay, <laughs> and he's going to release something on the earth that's going to totally, totally change it and totally transform it. There's enough havoc that's been wreaked through the, uh, what I would say, the enemy over these, even these last few years, actually the last several years, but these last few years, there's been enough, uh, enough havoc wreaked that the, I believe that the Holy Spirit's ready to stand up inside of you and say, we're going to stop this. We're going to change this. We're going to turn this around. It, always meant, it was always meant for us to be kings in the kingdom. Come on. Right? We're supposed to be kings in the kingdom. He said, I made you a king and a priest. And, and, and a king of who? A king of his kingdom. And, and, and he said, he, he told us, his first prayer to us, wasn't it, hey, I want you to pray, thy kingdom come. And as you search the scriptures, and we'll look at it in just a minute, the kingdom of God is put within you at salvation. And now he's wanting to release it. But how does he do that? Well, we're going to look at that in just a moment here. We're going to start with uh, the first of the Beatitudes. I want to kind of give us a bit of a, uh, an overview, though, of these, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount so we can kind of see the setting and understand more what he's about to say and teach us. And so as we look into this, here's the, the two questions that uh, we'll be asking or should be asking ourselves. What does the kingdom, what does a kingdom of God person believe and how are they to live as a result of that? What do you believe and is it altering the way that you're living? What do you believe? And has it changed your life? Because if it hasn't, then maybe you're not really believing. Or maybe you've, maybe you've changed and then you stop changing. And I call that an unbelieving believer. As opposed to being a believing believer. I hope that makes sense. Right? I mean, has anybody been unbelieving for any season in their life as a believer? Raise your hand. Come on, I need to know. Okay. I, want to know. I just want to know I'm with everybody that's like me. That's it's the truth. And if we don't recognize that, then again, we just will continue to drift off. As Paul calls it, you'll drift away. And he doesn't want that. So let's pray. Father, thank you right now for your word. I pray the eyes of our understanding would be opened this morning. That something that 
your word says will speak deeply to each and every one of us, and not one of us would escape the power of your word. God, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy that's new every day. And I pray today that the Holy Spirit would enlighten us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. So he's going to answer those two questions. What does a kingdom of God person believe, and how is that affecting our lives? What Jesus is doing when it comes to the Beatitudes is he's basically uh, revealing to us what we're to experience and grow into on the inside, on the inside, because everything that is going on the in on in you on the inside comes outside, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Everything that's in you comes out, and so that's why when you do stuff and you go crazy sometimes, that's why it happens, because that's what's in you. That's what's going on in you. That's what you've allowed to get into your heart and spirit. So therefore, externally, you have no control over it. When you get angry, why is that? Because you've allowed something to get inside of you. And, and, and pretty soon, it's going to just come flying out. Anybody experience that? Anybody, you know, you think something, or you, maybe you even say something. I remember the, the first couple of weeks that I was saved, uh, I'm, I'm witnessing to my neighbor, okay? And uh, uh, as I'm witnessing, all of a sudden the F word come flying out of my mouth, you know? And I'm like, whoa, what? I mean, it was just, it was, it was, he was still redeeming me, you know, obviously. I mean, I, I, was, I, was, and I was witnessing, and it just came out, and I was like, oh my goodness, it just shocked me. And so, you know, what's in here will eventually come out, and I have to take responsibility for it. I have to take responsibility for it. I can't pass the buck to somebody else. And each one of the Beatitudes that we look at will look at a different circumstance of life and how that God would bless us if we allow that to become a part of us. That's why each one of them starts with blessed, 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 because he desires that. That's his desire. Uh, Graham Cook, in his book, Beholding and Becoming, he writes this. He says, the world is waiting for a different kind of Christian. Will it be you? Being unlike the other created beings, you carry a profound and unfathomable call on your life placed there by God himself. We talked about that in the previous series. You have a purpose, and you were created specifically for that purpose. And, and, and God wants to demonstrate himself through you through that. And, and this, is what, this, is, this is what he's saying. God has called you to do something fresh and completely new that you cannot possibly do on your own. You think about 1 Corinthians 1.27. It says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. So he thinks differently than, he, than we do. And when I, when I read this, uh, I, I remember David's story. And you remember his life, you know, he was unwanted, he was unseemly, he was the last born, he was put out to pasture to tend the sheep and to just stay out of the way, and even his own father forgot about him. His own father just forgot about him. We remember the prophet Samuel came and said, hey, I'm looking for the new king. 
and he brings by all of his other sons, and, and the prophet says, wait a minute, there's something, there's none of them, something's missing. Do you have another son? Come on, this is what, exactly what happened. And it was, oh, yeah, 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 we got one, but it would never be him. He's out there tending, we just have him out there tending sheep. And so he takes people that are just of the, the, the weakness sometimes of the world and the weak things to put to shame those that are mighty. And as we know that David was considered to be a man after God's heart. So as we look into these, these beatitudes over the next number of weeks, I want you to be able to let it become a mirror for where your heart is at and how you're doing. And when we look at the structure of these verses, it starts actually in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, and we'll just run it up here on the screen uh, and just kind of look at this, because I think this is an important point in these. And he went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And one, uh, one way that we can restate that is Jesus went about uh, with, to teach the way of the kingdom, but he also taught the power of the kingdom. And then we jump to Matthew 9.35, and he says about the same thing. He says, and this is at the end of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching their, in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. See, I'm bringing this out because there's a funny divide in the body of Christ. There's a funny divide that seems to be pretty... Uh, dominant uh, as you look around and you look across the landscape of Christianity and, 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 and I believe this is being brought out for that purpose is that there's a whole segment of the church that just thinks, man, we just want really good teaching. Just teach us well. We just want to know everything about the Bible. We want you just to teach the Bible, teach the Bible, teach the Bible. There's a whole segment of the church that would be their strong emphasis. Then there's another group over here that says, you know, we just want to experience the power of God. We want, that's all we want. Let's just see signs and wonders and miracles all the time. And as you've watched the course of the church history, what you discover is that those that only wanted teaching begin to die inside spiritually. And those that only wanted the charismatic and not the teaching begin to go crazy. Remember, they call them crazy-matics or something like that? You know, they just got crazy because why? They left the Word. But Jesus here, he, in the midst of this sermon, he teaches about the Beatitudes and he lays down the heart issues. But then he also comes and he starts healing, healing people and delivering people from the demonic. We can't separate the two. We must have spirit and truth. We must walk in both of those and learn how to do it. And as we do that, we'll begin to see a fresh release of the power of God through us. Because God wants his power released because it's really only the power of God that changes us. How many can say amen to that? And I just tell you, you know that's true. And so what he's doing here in this Sermon on the Mount is he's bringing both of these in. He's going to come in with some solid teaching about the heart. But then he's also going to demonstrate with signs, wonders, miracles, healings, deliverances, and those type of things. 
And I, I believe we just want to be a believing believer that believes in both of these and we don't fall on one, uh, one category. And, I, and it's understandable why this happens. Because you can, you know, the, uh, the, the, you, can, you can really get buried in studying the Bible and knowing everything about it and really getting a little bit of a pride because you know so much. Okay, but then you could also get on the charismatic side, just getting away from the word, and pretty soon uh, you're like a river without banks, which just causes a flood and destruction. But God wants the river banks of his truth to be a channel for this water of the spirit, create the power of God, and let that flow. And, uh, and, and as he pours out his spirit, as the scriptures uh, speak about, that begins to happen. And so we're going to move now uh, into uh, Matthew, uh, excuse me, where the sermon begins. Uh, and the first one is, uh, blessed are those <coughs> that are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. For theirs is the kingdom of God. And that's what we want to look at. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? The actual word blessed that we start out with is, uh, is kind of where we got the, the Beatitudes from the, the Latin word happiness or blessedness. And some, some, some translations will say happy are they. Uh, you know, it can fit. It just seems a little bit odd. Happy are they that mourn, you know. It just seems. But, but I think God's heart and idea is that he wants to bless you. He wants to you to be a blessed person, even through all of these things. And this is how we get there. It's kind of almost the, uh, the opposite of the way that uh, our culture would think about it. Uh, a Greek mindset for this uh, very verse here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 uh, says this. It says, Enriched are those who live in humility and gratitude for the reign of God is theirs. I thought, wow, that's powerful. This is, it's an enriching thing. So let's just look now. Uh, if you want to grab your your Bibles, uh, I want to just read through uh, Matthew chapter uh, 5 and verses 1 through 12. And then we'll jump into uh, breaking down the scripture. So Matthew chapter 5. And then we're going to look and read 1 through 12. And again, this may be one of the more familiar and quoted scriptures uh, around. Verse 5, verse, chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying. So he's kicking into his teaching mode here. And it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those 
that are persecuted uh, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 3, blessed blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does poor in spirit mean? John Wesley, a famous preacher, uh, <clears throat> describes it like this. He or she who has a deep sense of loathsome uh, leprosy of sin which he brought from his mother's womb, which overspreads his whole soul and totally corrupts every power and faculty thereof. Someone who realizes in the sight of God and biblically speaking what they are and what they are more importantly in the sight of God. It is simply this. It is to recognize the recognition of a personal, moral, and spiritual unworthiness apart from Jesus Christ. Spiritually, morally, personally, socially, in every single realm you can think of of the human life that you're showing that you are in need of God. An excellent rendering of this verse, I would advise you to take it down as, as this. Blessed are those who realize that they have nothing within themselves to commend themselves to God for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so essentially the poorness and poor of spirit has to do with a sense, and these are on your notes, there, a sense of our powerlessness in ourself, a sense of spiritual bankruptcy and helplessness before God. It's a sense of moral uncleanness before God. It's a sense of personal unworthiness before God. And it's a sense that if there is to be any life or joy or usefulness, it will have to be all of God and all of grace. And so it's a total understanding of our bankruptcy spiritually speaking, before God. Now, I don't know what your experience of salvation was or is, but you should have recognized the condition of your heart at that moment when Christ reveals. It's like he just opens up your heart, and all of a sudden you recognize, wow, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really less than I thought. I'm less than who I allowed myself to think I was. And this is a challenge because we have so much teaching today about, you know, self-worth and, you know, love yourself and, uh, you know, you're great and you're wonderful and all of that, that sometimes I think it makes us hard to, to it makes it hard for us to remember that we really aren't. You really aren't. I'm just telling you. I know you were glad you came to church today to find out that you're not. But you were nothing, spiritually speaking, before God. And I know, it's again, sometimes in the body we start building ourselves up. Oh, you're more, you know, you're great in Christ. You are the righteousness of God. You're, and, and granted, all of these things are true. But this is number one, that I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I was lost without God. 
I have to come to that first realization in order to be saved. Now, when we look at the different ones, you know, that, uh, that, 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 that we're going to talk about here in just a minute, it's, it's, it, we'll begin to see what I'm talking about here. And again, I, I know a little bit of this might sound like, well, you're going against even some stuff you've said in the past, you know, that we're king's kids, we're wonderful, we're great, and, and all of that. But again, I want us to step back. I don't know that just because we get saved, all of a sudden we can forget the poor in spirit. I think I have to keep this in mind. And this is why I'm saying this is why the reset that we're after today is God, bring me back to that place. I may have allowed pride to creep back in. I may have allowed different things to creep back into my life that all of a sudden now I'm struggling to relate to God or to even sense his presence or acknowledge his presence. Why would that be? Maybe I've lost or covered over with a cultural thought mindset this whole idea of being poor in spirit, being totally bankrupt without him. You know, it's, 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 it's important for us to Always remember Acts 17, 28. In him, I live, I move, and I have my being. It's in him. It's not in anything else but him. That'll always be. I never want to move away from that. And I, I, I wrote this down. A gauge for where we are is our response in his presence. Let me say that again. A gauge for where I really am is my response when I enter into his presence. So the question might be, do you remember your last response when you entered into his presence? Or, and I'm just trying to be open here about some of this. Or have I gotten to the place where I have no response to God? His presence doesn't move me anymore. I've matured past that. My, my, my suggestion is that we really haven't matured past that. But we've allowed things to get into our heart that have pulled us away maybe from being poor of spirit. I, I forgot what he did on the cross for me. I forgot that I could have not made it. I would, have, I would have been separated from God for eternity if Jesus Christ wouldn't have come and done what he did. And we, there was a chasm between us that he came to resolve for us. And somehow we can forget that. And this is what we, why we're going through this series and why we wanted you to get back into the Gospels and the Gospel readings at the beginning of the year because if we can get back to this place... You know, this is where we will be blessed. And we've just read all of those blessings. And, and so, so <clears throat> I guess the, the, the question that I begin to ask myself as I've been studying this for my own sake was, I, have I drawn close enough to God to where I can remember how bankrupt I was? Because that seems to be the gauge for it. And I'm going to show us that in just a minute here. Uh, that seems to be the gauge for it. What's my response in his presence? I, I put this statement down. Pride can live in the soul of a person who stays far from God. So in other words, if I don't 
come into his presence, both in worship settings like this and in my own personal prayer time, then pride will creep back into my heart and, 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 and begin to separate me even further from God. Because why? Doesn't the Bible say God resists the proud? Now, I'm struggling inside. God, where are you? Why can't I feel you? Why can't I hear you? Why can't I see you? Well, this is what we're addressing here today. Maybe I'm drifting away from some of the very basics that he gave to us. So as we look at, you know, who the... Uh, the, the, who this applies to, we do know, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to take time to read it, but we know that in Scripture, in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, and I believe you have that written down there, is that he gives us the illustration of the Pharisee who sits there and proclaims his whole righteousness and how good he is, but then the tax, uh, the, the tax collector who, who wouldn't even lift his eyes up because he was recognizing the presence of God. And he just stayed down and he humbled himself before the Lord and said, man, I'm nothing. And Jesus has given us this illustration to show us how religious people can turn back toward this position. Now all of a sudden, I, I'm not humble. I'm, not, I, I'm actually prideful. And I, I'm actually coming to the place where I, I, I have become the religious elite of that day. And this is what we're trying to address. This is what we want to make sure that we are not there. One uh, commentator, Leon Morris, he says this. It says, they recognize their lack of spiritual resources and therefore their complete dependence on God, only those who realize they have nothing to offer God can be recipients of God's grace. So he wants us to get something here. And, and, and this message of, of, the, of the poor in spirit has to do with the fact that we desperately need him. We desperately need need him. I, I thought this might be a way to help us to see something that, again, sometimes we miss with the, you know, because we believe in the prosperity message. We believe in you're a king's kid. You are. We believe in sonship. We believe in all of that, but not at the expense of forgetting this poor in spirit aspect of it. Listen to this. this these are people that you would recognize, okay? And I want you to hear some of the statements that they're making later on in their life, okay? They've lived some life, they've followed God, and then these are the statements that they stopped and realized and made. Listen to what Abraham says. In dealing uh, with, uh, with the Lord about Sodom and Gomorrah, he says this here in Genesis 18, 27. Behold, I have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes. Man, this is, this is Abraham. And what about Jacob? When he returned from the promised land after spending, uh, you know, 20 years in exile, he, he wrestles with God. You remember the story in Genesis 32, 10. He wrestles with God and he says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. I'm not worthy of that. There's a humility there. What about Isaiah? If you remember... When uh, King Uzziah died in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5, and here's what he says. Woe is me. Uh, I hear the heart that this is coming from. 
This is Isaiah, walked with God for many years, wrote one of the most prophetic books of all the whole Bible. Isaiah is one of the more important books in the Bible because it ties together the entire Bible. It puts everything there. And listen to his words. In the presence of God, remember the glory of God came into that setting. And then this is what he says. This is what he says. Woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Wow. What about Paul in the New Testament? He says, I know nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh, Romans 7.18. And then what about Peter in Luke 5.8? And when he saw the power of Jesus on the lake of Gethsemane, he says, Simon Peter fell down at Jesus' knees saying this, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I mean, did you, did you, you hear the heart of these guys? And it's really these guys that this is down the road in most of their lives. And now they're all of a sudden they're coming to this place and just realizing, man, I, I, I'm really nothing. I, I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot what God did. I forgot what Jesus was doing. And now I'm coming back to you. And, and, and this is what understanding the poor in spirit and what the meaning is of being completely spiritually bankrupt before God. That brings me back to my relationship with him in such a real, close, intimate place. Now, I think every one of us wants to have an intimate relationship with God. I mean, I want one. I, I want to be closer to him, you know, most days when I wake up. <laughs> you know, God, I just want to be closer to you. I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. I want to engage with you. I, I, want, to, I, I want to be with you, God. I, I, I want to know you. I want to be close to you. I don't want to just be religious about life. I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. I, the, the, like the quote on the front of the notebook that we gave you. You know, studying the word is not so that you can gain more knowledge. It's so that you can know God. Man, what a powerful quote from A.W. Tozer. And, and so as we, as we look into, okay, how do, we, how do we get there? What does this really mean and how do we get there? Let's just take a, a, a moment and look at these three uh, characteristic uh, traits of those that really understand the poverty of their own spirit. The first one, number one, is uh, the poor in spirit are broken. The poor in spirit are broken. Now, when you hear that statement in Psalms 34 18, uh, uh, gives us a reason to focus here. It says, The Lord is near to who? The brokenhearted. And he saves those that are of a crushed spirit. So what does that, what does that mean to you as, as, as I sat there? If you were t- talking to somebody and you were going to share the poor in spirit or people that are broken, what would you have in your mind right now? And maybe can you remember the experiences of times when you were broken? And I've had a few of those. I've had a lot of those. <laughs> Okay, where I just felt like the, whatever was happening caved in upon me. But it broke me. It crushed me. It brought me actually to a place of openness to the Lord. Where I, I didn't recognize 
the hardness that was settling in. But then a hardship came, or a loss came, or something happened, and all of a sudden, I recognized, wow, Lord, you want, you, you, you want to be near those that are brokenhearted, and I'm not there right now. Psalms 51, 17, sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, Lord, you're not going to despise that. When I think of the, the, the whole idea of, of brokenness, and maybe you can just write down this verse if you're listening online, Luke chapter 20, verses 17 through 18. It's just, it's just a real important verse that you have to meditate on to actually understand. Luke chapter 20, verses 17 through 18. And, 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 and it may open up some understanding to you concerning this. I like Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. It says, when Jesus looked over the crowds, his heart broke. Wow, his heart broke. His heart broke. How's your heart doing today? Would you say that it, it has experienced a brokenness? How's your spirit today? Are you hard and crusty or is there maybe a brokenness about you? Because a brokenness really uh, changes us. I think you can, you can tell it after a while. It's almost like stubbornness leaves, <laughs> stiffness leaves, starchiness leaves, and all of a sudden now I'm much more tender-hearted. Why? Because something's broken open in my life. And what is that? My heart. My heart's been broken open. Has anybody here experienced a broken season in your life? Would you raise your hand? Okay. And hopefully you drew closer to the Lord through that. And, and, and you recognize, wow, no, it wasn't that God was mad at me, but it was because he loved me so much. He couldn't bear to stay far from me. And so he knew something had to break to get me back to that place. And again, you know, sometimes we have um, different teachings on different categories and everything else and different topics and all of that. And there's lots of that in the Bible, but we can sometimes mistake some stuff. Like, well, I'm never supposed to have a problem. Well, I'm not sure that's so true. But that problem was never meant to destroy me, destroy me but maybe just to break me open. And, and, and it's important for us. So the poor in spirit are a broken people. And, and it's the brokenness I have found in my own personal life. It's in those broken seasons that Jesus really makes some changes. And it's an awesome thing. So number two, the poor in spirit, they're humble. They're humble. They're humble. That's so important. And the, 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 the dictionary defines humble as a lack of vanity or self-importance. Uh, genuine Humility is not self-abasement or degrading of self. I put this down here. Um, uh, it's, on your, it's on your notes there. Humility is not thinking less about yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So he's not saying, hey, you're a nobody, you're a nothing, you're no good. But he's just saying, listen, don't let your life turn into it's all about me. I'm going to make sure I make it first, and that's kind of a thing in the, you know, in, in the culture and life. I'm going to make it first, and then I'm going to go out and make a difference. I've never seen people get there that way. Never. But I've seen them get there when they say, you know, it's not about me. 
I'm going to pour my life into other people. I'm going to bless other people that then the blessing comes back. And this is what he's after in the poor in spirit, that you're, you are concerned about people and you are giving your life toward people. And it's not, you're not trying to build it around yourself. You're not trying to make yourself great. You're not trying to make yourself rich. You're not trying to make yourself all these things, but you're literally turning out toward the people. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's a real difference here. You know, and some of it is just get, get, get. It's, you know, only the tough survive and you just crawl your way to the top and so forth. And this is opposite of the God's thinking. And it's the opposite of those that are poor in spirit. And the third thing is, um, and, and let me just read this. I just couldn't not read this verse. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Listen to this here. And this is about Jesus. Let this mind... Be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. What a powerful word. What a powerful demonstration and description of what Jesus did for us. I just think it's totally awesome. I just love to read that verse because it just reminds me, reminds me of what he's calling us to be. And again, he's calling us for a reason. And then the third is the poor in spirit are dependent upon God. The poor in spirit are dependent upon God. Matthew chapter uh, three, uh, Matthew chapter five and verse three in the message uh, translation says it this way. It says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you there is more of God and his rule. <laughs> I suppose it's the truth, you know. We sometimes have to do that. So my question at this particular uh, point would be how... Do you know, how, how, do, how do you know that you are dependent on God? How do you know that? And are you really positioned to be dependent on him? And I just wrote down three things, and I'm sure there's more. But number one is that you do pray. You have a prayer life that's working. You have a prayer life that's important to you. Why? Because you are dependent on God. If you don't pray, you're not dependent on God. You're only saying you are. Second thing is that you cry out to God at times. In other words, you do. You shout it out. It just, has anybody ever cried out to God? I mean, he's just like, God, where are you? And why? You know, you cry out to him. He doesn't mind that because he wants to respond to you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to get with you in your life journey. We still walk through. Sometimes because we drift away, we have to cry out to him when we don't see and experience it or we don't experience his voice or his presence or anything about that in our life. We're just living everyday life as a good person and we're not really hearing him. That's the time, man. You better cry out to God. It's emergency time. Pull the fire alarm because <laughs> you, you want to walk close with him and you want to be that. Listen to Isaiah 41 13 as we wrap up this morning. Isaiah 41 in verse 13. For I am the Lord your God who takes a hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help. Wow. That's your God. I'm, I'm, I, and in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, trust, and we, know, we all know this one, of course. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Psalms 121, 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's where my help comes from. That's what I want to be able to say continually. That's that's what I want to be able to quote every time I face a big challenge. That's what I want to say. No, my help is going to come from the Lord. And you know something? And I I know many of you can say the same thing. You've trusted the Lord in that way for years. I've been saved for 40-some years. I've trusted in the Lord. And you know what? He always comes through. He always comes through. I might need to be broken before he comes through. I might need to be humbled before he comes through. And I might need to get back to dependence on him. But if I do, he'll always be faithful. Everything else is sinking sand, right? But on Christ, the solid rock that I stand, I'll always be taken care of. He'll be near me. He's going to be close to me. There's good news about being poor in spirit. There's good news about remembering uh, our helplessness and being able to stand up each day and allow the Holy Spirit to bring us back to a place of, I guess, sensitivity. Bring us back to a place of tenderness. Bring us back to a place where we love His presence. I love his presence. I want to be in his presence all the time. And I I, I, I just feel today that there's a reset that will take place as you respond this morning to this. And we have to be careful because pride could jump up even right now and say, I'm sure that's good for somebody. I'm sure that's good for somebody and maybe bypass where I'm at today with it all. So would you just close your eyes for a moment? Just let's just bow our heads for just a second. How are you doing with your walk with God? Is it close or is it distant? And just be honest, is it is it far away? I mean, there's, you know, maybe even this morning, I don't know. I, I, I just tell you, I, I think the presence of God was here pretty strong. And I felt his presence. I was in the front here. I, I probably should have kneeled down because I really, that's what I was feeling, was I just felt the presence of God trying to come in this morning and touch our hearts and help us. See, he's our help in time of need. He didn't say this to condemn you. Ever. He said this to help you and to pull you in to him. He wants you to have joy and blessedness and, and happiness. And even sometimes when it's in the midst of a challenge. But how's your heart toward the Lord this morning? Are you tender or do you feel hardness creeping in and, and, and I don't know how else to ask it other than that do you feel there's a you know there's a just a you know I, I, I don't know what it what this means to uh, be tender before the Lord or to feel him 
And if you've never, ever felt him before in this type of pour of spirit, then today would be a wonderful time because that's how you step into salvation. You, you can't be saved any other way other than recognizing your, your bankruptcy of spirit and then allowing him to come in. And that's the beautiful thing. He just needs us to acknowledge it. Then he comes in. That's why he said in Revelation, Behold, man, I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking today. I'm knocking on your heart today. Open it up and I'll come in. And so maybe you're online. Maybe you're in this room and you've never taken that time to say, God, come on in. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior and open the door for Jesus Christ to come into you, and He will, and then He'll begin to open up the eyes of your understanding. Things that haven't made sense before to you will all of a sudden begin to make sense spiritually because He loves you and He cares about you and He died for you. He came to give His life for you. And then again, it's, it's, it's maybe you're here and you're just recognizing kind of a coldness this is be honest or you know a distance from the lord and you really you know you you don't get excited about reading the bible anymore or praying that's just that's just an issue he wants to reel you back into himself because he wants you to be there this is important blessed are the poor in spirit and i like what it says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven that's not a promise for the future but that's a declaration for the present. I'm going to give you the kingdom of heaven. You're going to see it. You're going to experience it. You're going to walk in it if you remain poor in spirit. So let's just pray at whatever place that you might be at today. Again, if you're online or in this room and you haven't really said, Lord, I want you to be my Lord. Remember, we talked about Lord and Savior a couple weeks ago. Then that's what you need to do this morning. You need to ask him into your heart. It's that easy. And then maybe you're, again, uh, and I've been there and I've had to repent and change and turn from, the, I guess, the crustiness and the distance from God. And I just want to say, let's just get back to that. Let's just get back to that first love. Let's get back to that place where, man, God is fun. God is so good. God is rich. And never want to be apart from that. So, Father, we thank you today. I thank you right now for your word. And your promise that we would be blessed if we would take ourselves into, uh, Lord, just this whole uh, concept of the Beatitudes. We would be blessed starting with seeing the kingdom of heaven. And I just pray for everyone that's online that they would be even experiencing right now the presence of God entering in. And that we would see, Father, just a, 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 an awakening of something inside of each one of us.